If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of Podarino! Well, this week it's Tara Flynn is my guest, the wonderful Tara Flynn, whom I uh, work with in the Dublin Comedy Improv, and who I've known for quite a long time, I think uh, going on 30 years, on and off, and uh, uh, it's a brilliant chat with her, and I'm bringing this introduction to you from Chicago, my last day in America, my last day in Chicago had a great time here i'm sitting in a park uh near the grounds of the university of chicago and i i stayed in an airbnb i've stayed in two different airbnbs but this one this time i got booked one and it's um in a place called woodlawn and the very first night i was hungry i got in i wanted to get something in the supermarket and i came at my door and turned left and it was i walked to the aldi and i went through this area but it was like, um, I was immediately asked for money and stuff, and it was real down at heel. I was the only white guy I could see around. And uh, some guy on a bike cycled by, and he said, Welcome to Woodlawn. Stay alert. And so that was my experience on the first night. After turning left, in two minutes I was in this kind of... Uh, uh, down that hill area and uh, the next day I came out of my house and turned right and within two minutes, less than two minutes I was in this leafy kind of university grounds kind of green park area with lots of statues and big massive cathedrals there's one big cathedral called the 
Rockefeller Memorial Chapel, which is yeah, like it's Rockefeller. Um, I didn't know you could name a church after a, a capitalist, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that's the way it is. I'm just at, right on the verge between two areas. They're so close; they're in walking distance, and they're the absolute opposite of each other. So uh, I've had a really good time here in Chicago, and I got these Divi bikes that I was to cycle around and yesterday I cycled from where I am Woodlawn all the way to Diversity Parkway which is about 14 miles but most of it is all the way down the uh, trail down by the waterfront and it's ah, stunning what a cycle it is amazing um like it's there's beach there's these the massive Chicago skyline on your in front of you and then on your left as you go along and then on your right you pass through by beaches and marinas and like uh, it's it's a beautiful and it's just such a beautiful track all the way down through the parks um, and I think it's an amazing city Chicago I'm really liking it and I'm so glad I stayed in a few different areas well two different areas three different areas now that I've stayed in Chicago a few times four different areas I've stayed in in Airbnbs each time I'd stay in a different area so I'm getting to know getting to know my way around and using the bicycle this time it's bloody great I'd love to come back anyway and uh, do a holiday perhaps here uh, so what else did I do I went to see the Bears the Bears football national NFL and uh, they lost but it was fake uh, the most American thing I've ever done in my life. The, the, uh, the uh, just how American. Uh, to me, it's just amazing. You're just sitting in the stand. It's roasting hot. There's lots of guys guzzling beer before you even go to the football match. There's just loads of people at, with their cars and they take out barbecues and they're cooking burgers and chicken wings and hot dogs and drinking beer from like 9 a.m. in the morning and uh, uh, I like ah, it's just fucking nuts and then they go um, in but all the fans are mixed up and all that I don't it's not like uh, soccer where you're all there's a bit of chant the only time they chant is when they're walking under if you're walking under an underpass where there's a bit of echo and they do a bit of chanting then um then uh, you get in, and I loved it. And once I understood the the whole thing, uh, I was into it. Uh, like the national anthem is insane, and then they bring out a soldier at some point, and everyone applauds him. Um, I don't know, Jesus Christ, it's so different. Oh, it's so American, and everybody's high fiving and drinking beer and eating hot dogs and some guy going around going hot dogs you know that kind of stuff um, so that was some experience I got burnt of course. Oh, it was a hot day I, I, and my face was, was and I was wrecked I was drinking beers and by 4 o'clock I was wrecked we, uh, I was with uh, Nolan from the Galway Bay bar and he brought this little van thing with Galway Bay pub written on the side of it. And uh, uh, we got back into it and I just fell asleep. And then they went drinking and I just stayed in the back of the van and fell asleep. Woke up with a fucking headache from sun 
almost sunstroke or whatever, maybe a hangover mixed in and uh, I know waddled down the road, found a place where I could get a burger and I ate that and I just had to go home but it was great and then yesterday the big cycle and now today I'm in the park and uh, I've got to go home now so uh, just great yeah so this is top notch uh, chat with uh, Tara Flynn Um, and uh, one other yeah whatever I was going to say one other thing I did I guested with the Kansas City Improv Group and they were amazing so a big thank you to them I did a workshop with them as well because you know I taught them a few uh, new short form games because they're a mostly long form kind of vibe and uh, I was a a monologist which I'd never heard that word before but it's where you just step in take a word from a from a suggestion and start a monologue for about a minute and then finish it and then they do a few sketches based on your monologue and then you go back in and do another you do about three times and uh, that was good crack so uh, that was it okay uh, enjoy this it's uh, it's Tara It's great because we're here in the International Bar uh, upstairs where we perform. Where we live as a group. The improv group lives. It's where we live as flatmates. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like that myth of us all living on a bus or something. Like the banana splits. I love the improv, you know, because I love it when there's a mixture of genders. (laughs) <laughs> Me too. Because, uh, <laughs> no, particularly in improv, because then you can really go with scenes yeah. uh, that you can't do if it's just the lads. Yeah. Or I, if you do do them, you feel like you're being a bit Yeah, rude. I know what you mean. And, and also, but I love, I love even down through the years that, you know, the, the weird progress of Ireland has kind of come out on the improv stage where, you know, lads are in couples now and it's not a joke. Do you know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. in Ireland in the past, that would have been, oh, it's hilarious, they're married. Oh, and now it's like we've marriage equality. So scenes can happen between two blokes if you need to. I'm not, I'm trying to put myself out of a job here. What am I doing? No, you need women, always women <laughs> in the improv. It's the only way couples yeah. can exist. <laughs> yeah. Or actually, if it's just the lads uh, and we're being a couple, well, you can't tell if one of them, one of us could be the woman, yeah. a woman, or we could be just two yeah, men. Yeah, yeah, gender fluidity uh, thing. We've got it all going on here at the when, improv. I love when someone suggests it doesn't happen as much now, but people would say in a gay bar. I know it doesn't happen. It really doesn't. It really like humor has shifted because it's like. Mm. Things that were the butt of jokes are no longer. It's just like it's mm. acknowledged that it's, you know people are people are people, and that 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 isn't a funny thing. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. But without any sort of po faced campaigning or anything, that's just sort of happened. It's and, cool. Yeah, it's very cool. It's I really love cool. it. Yeah. I'll tell you what. The only one thing that's really bugged still bugs me. Oh is, no! Is, 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 it's uh, me, isn't it? I'm out. <laughs> You're firing me from no, the improv. It's, um, this was a roundabout way to do it. Bring me on the podcast. It's very public. It's travellers. The traveller thing. The traveller... Yes. Uh, I'm not saying... No, sorry, what I'm saying is that people will shout out, oh, a traveller... On the halting site. Uh, yeah. On the halting site. As a hilarious oh, situation. I agree. People... I was only talking to a guy last week who... Set, we're talking away, and then he goes, 
I hate travellers. You know, yeah, just said it I know. Straight it's, out and it's one of the last acceptable, socially acceptable prejudices in this country. Yeah. People don't even see it as a prejudice. No. And I, I agree with you. And it's sometimes, you know, people can suggest it here. And I, too, get very uncomfortable because I'm like... Why is that meant to be hilarious? It's not because the only thing left for us to do then is maybe do a, an approximation of what people think a traveler accent is or something. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to do that for humor. No. You know? I don't, especially, yeah, I want to move on from all that. I have a double thing about it, though, because to tra- tra- we do an accent uh, roller where we do different accents. And pretty much every accent is accepted. But if someone shouts out traveler, it's quite often not accepted. Now, is that wrong not to accept it? I think that's... Yeah. Kind of wrong because we're like, making an exception. I think, I think but. as ever, and this is the thing where suddenly we, we get serious straight away and I wanted to try and keep this really light, but it's, oh, a, yeah, I think when any, when a group is oppressed or, or yeah. set aside from society, it's always a bit weird when people who are accepted in society then do them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's what the difference is. So mm. it's like, for me, I, I don't, I don't, it just, it makes me uncomfortable and I don't find it funny. So then mm. we're back to the only unacceptable thing is something that's not funny, really. But for me, then that becomes not funny. Mm. So it's it sort of a, sort of a roundabout way. And then people say, "Oh, you're so PC, and you you think you're great." And I'm mm. like, "Well, I don't really. I just I do want to listen when any group or individual tells me yeah. that they're shut out." Yeah, I know. I was listening to your your uh, podcast on. Um Irish band abroad. Now, what I was thought was brilliant. When you the were, enemy. <laughs> ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yes, Joe. I see you have Jarlath oh, on a dartboard here. <laughs> uh, the, either the enemy or all my research. Ah. <laughs> no, no. But uh, no, I, I love the way you were talking about the fact that uh, we are all kind of racist and sexist yeah. inherently, and we're just yeah. learning. Because I definitely see it, saw it in me. Do you know what? I'd meet a, bl- a black friend, and I'd go. Hey man, I go. Hey man, as if that's a kind see, of a cool thing, or yeah. And the thing is, it's like th- that's not you? about beating ourselves up. It's about acknowledging yeah. the uh, racism or sexism we have. Like I have loads of sexism. I was wor- working on a show with a yeah. friend. I was giving her a few notes for it, and every time the detective came up, I'd say he, <laughs> and she's yeah, like, yeah. "I'm playing the detective," and I was like, "Oh, because." It's so ingrained. It's yeah. so, you know, it's so culturally entrenched. We're Absolutely. all susceptible to it. And there's no point saying, well, I'm not. Because the minute you say, well, I'm not, you stop yourself, maybe uh, your unconscious bias, you stop fi- finding out about it. And I'd yeah. rather find out about it, go, oh, I fucked up, I'm sorry, um, and learn rather than going, no, I'm great. I'd, I'm not sexist or racist at all. <laughs> I'm amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you <laughs> yeah. can't not be. You can't not be. That's what I think is, is the interesting part. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens all... Like, I, I actually... You know, because I'm separated, and a lot of people... When I'd say I'm separated, and, and, and women would say this, they go, they'd say to you, uh, do you see the kids much? And I'd be like, well, of course I see the kids. You know what I mean? Know. It's just I this know. weird thing. I was going like... Well, yeah, they live with me half the time. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I know, know they're they're assumptions. It's it's just about assumptions we make. We might not even be aware that we make them. Uh, And there's no, I don't see any harm, especially if you can do it with a bit of fun, a bit of humor, and just say, you know, so the improv would be a great example of that. We can choose maybe not to make fun of an oppressed group. Wouldn't that be hilarious not to do that? (laughs) It'd be cool. So that's an easy way I see of doing that. And but but we're all susceptible to it. We all do it. And Mm. uh, you know, there's a there's a uh, experiment that I think it's in Freakonomics book where you've got pictures of people and you've got to quickly match doctor and a face or something. Yeah, they Uh, do that with voice voices as well and and accents. Much slower. Try and match in certain jobs with women or with uh, people of color 
Yeah. Your that, mind yeah. is slower, a millisecond slower. Yeah, it is. And the other yeah. thing here is, well, uh, you know, because mm. uh, obviously Travellers is an obvious and clear-cut one, but classism here is something we, we never talk about. People say there's no mm. class system in Ireland, and we all know, like, you know, certain accents will, you know, uh, will make someone less likely to get a job or whatever. And that's another unconscious bias people have. Yeah. That, that is, I think we need to bring a little more front and centre and question. Yeah, it's constantly happening. It's constantly Constant. happening. We're all part of it. But listen, Tara, yeah. <laughs> we've cleared that up anyway. That's now. great. We solved yeah, all we've that. We solved which all is that. So let's And move we on. have no unconscious biases ourselves. Which no, is no, brilliant. no, no. We're amazing. We just talked it out. It's brilliant. So we're brilliant. fine now. Brilliant. We're amazing. Fantastic. I feel so great. Right. So if anyone else wants to come and see me, I'll talk the racism out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe Rooney talking the racism out of you That's since 2017. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think, Tara, I, I remember meeting you years ago. Like, we know each other a long time. A lot. Really Don't tell people time. how long. Oh, my God. A long I, time. But I was doing a, a, an acting class for TV. Do you remember that? I yeah. think that's the first time I might met you. Yeah. 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 yeah God yeah, almighty. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, uh, and that's why we're on TV so much is because... Because of that class. We're so good at it. Yeah. Because we, we passed. It was just us. We were the best in the class. We were the best in the class. I don't know what class. happened to the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> we were the best in the class. Yeah. Well, that's, that's probably about... 30, no, it's not 20 something years ago. I don't know, yeah. But you, 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 you were an actress then. That was your thing, wasn't it? I was it? an actress. Yeah. I still am. You wouldn't know it, but I am. Well, I'm not saying you're not now, but I mean, <laughs> solely yeah, an actress. That was, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. But I was still doing, I, I don't think you were in the improv at that time, but I was doing the door for the improv and stuff at the time because I was working mm-hmm. with Michelle Reed, who's also in the improv, uh, for people who don't know. I was doing acting stuff with her. And we were doing the odd improv workshop in the uh, in the acting in the theatre group, and then I started to come down and see the improv, and I ended up coming down so much I ended up doing the door, which I think Brendan Dempsey did as well. That's sort of your back door to the improv <laughs> is you do the door, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was kind of like I was coming so often, I was coming to the show so often that they said you shouldn't be paying, like <laughs> just do the door for us, and I was like, no problem. Yeah, um, and, so and was I think it so something that you just happened upon, you just walked in here one night. No, because I was working with Michelle. Oh, you were working with Michelle, you who was it. one of the founder members of the of the improv, and and so then I started coming to the odd workshop. I think you might have been at one or two of them, but it would have been after that acting class. And it, but it took me seven years to get into the improv. Genie yes, man. there are very strict gatekeepers to the improv, oh, as no. we now know. There's a quest you have to do. <laughs> you have to go to Hades, yeah. come back. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. You so leave, it takes ages to come back. I, I, I kind of stopped doing it, and then it took me a while yeah. to get back into it. And so I don't think you were in it when I would have been coming lots and lots. So I would have mm. met you at that acting class, and then. I started doing the Nulas a couple of years later. All right. And then you were doing uh, some of the shows with us. I did some of the Nulas yeah, shows. I remember doing right. a Christmas show. Definitely. The Christmas show in the Dark Club. In the Dark Club, Club. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was cool. That, I was just thinking now, there was quite a few female comedians around the time that were doing character stuff. There was, uh, character stuff and musical stuff. There weren't that many stand-ups. Stand-up. It was really interesting. Yeah, Anne was doing it. Anne Gildee. Michelle was doing the odd gig. Yes. Um, there was a girl that isn't it. She was an actress as well. Oh, I can't remember her name. But she was in a couple, like the Cassidy's. She was in that sitcom as well. But she did stand up for a while. Ah. It was Tom Boyd who did characters. Yes, Tom was doing characters. Yeah, it seems that um, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of women are interested in in characters and things like that. And I think, um, is that because it's there's a little bit of a you're not fully yourself, possibly like a little bit of a protection. I think yeah. there is in stand up as well. Doesn't everyone have a little bit of a persona when they're on stage? A little bit. But I think yeah, characters. It's definitely for me. It's more interesting than. Mm me 
talking is going up and playing last characters. It's one of the reasons I love the improv. Yeah, And yeah, the Nula's yeah. was characters as well, but an, one ongoing character singing lots of different songs. And mm. yeah, I, I love characters. And that's for me, that's where acting came into it. And, and I had never thought I was funny and uh, a lot of people still don't and I you know sometimes I agree with them and um, but characters was sort of the way in so and so was the first thing you did was the new as well yeah 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 and how did that how did you meet up with Anne and Sue? well I knew them through I knew Sue through the improv, improv. and and through you know coming down and watching gigs here a lot because I was always a comedy fan mm. but that was one of the reasons I was so slow to do it because I was like oh no they're so gr- they're so great and they're so funny and I can never ever do that yeah. or anything like it did so you, did you do any comedy characters in the acting world yeah only mm. if the parts came up like only yeah. it, but it was it was mainly more serious stuff mm. and uh, and I thought that was what I really wanted to do and then it was only that so fell into comedy in the news we, we we met at a party and there was a guitar there and I just I'm very bad on the guitar as you know but I can knock I some chords out of it and um, just play it and we did some songs we were just messing improvising some songs at this party and Anne said and it was brilliant just said let's go to the international in a few weeks and just do an open spot yeah and things just rolled from there it was mad how that happened right. it was just mad how that happened and so you did the open spot where you were did were you uh, dressed did you we did that yeah three dresses glasses yeah the whole oh, lot really from yeah, the beginning from the very beginning yeah from the very beginning it's just you know that one of those lightning in a bottle things where you mm. could never plan it you could never make it happen and it was just it was just crack as well it was just like mm. this is bonkers this is a bit of madness. It's mad to go on three weeks after we've improvised one song with three songs that we've written in the interim and just do a gig. Yeah. But we did it. Yeah. What were the songs you did? Oh, we did Manolo. Hey, Manolo, oh, Army right. and Item. Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. remember the others. I can't and, remember the others, Scott. Did I can't you remember. hard on a harmony. Like the harmony songs yeah. were amazing. We, mm. Yeah, we worked. I think that was the hardest bit because the songs, mm. because you had three editors really, someone would come in with a song. I wasn't really writing much in those days, but... Mm contributing to, to songs. So we'd all sort of bring in bring in a bit, edit and change and, and collaborate that way. Um, so you had something quite tight by the end and we're all pretty perfectionists so we had something quite tight by then. So then it was really just drilling musically, mm. really drilling those harmonies so they were super tight and that we could do it if there was a fight down the back of the bar or wherever we happened to be gigging. Yeah. We could still just keep on harmonising. Yeah. So yeah, we worked very hard on the musical aspect, yeah. I loved that actually about it. I mean... It, it's always good when there's comedy, but also the musical part is really spot on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you, you mean you do musical comedy and you're a great musician as well. And that's the only way it works for me. That's the only way it works for me. If someone goes up with a guitar to hide the fact that they don't really have jokes, mm. that makes me miserable because it's neither of the two things I love, music and comedy. It's neither of those now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so... And I'm quite hard on musical comedians, I suppose. I'm, I, I want a lot from them. And, and so when they're great, I'm just like like yourself, Paul Woodfull, mm. you know, Paddy Cullivan, um, Pippa Evans in the UK. She oh, does yeah. Loretta Maine. She's yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. brilliant. Uh, a lot of the musical improvisers. She does, she does uh, show stoppers as well, the musical. They're oh, right. geniuses. They improvise a whole West it? End musical. Do like, they? Yeah. You, you've, always, uh, like, you've always done, your voice is amazing. Did, is that something that you did as well? Or did you sing in bands? And, uh, I did, yeah. yeah Sang yeah. in bands, uh, busked on Winthrop Street. All those things you're supposed to mm. do when you are, because uh, I grew up, I from Kinsale in County Cork lived in Cork for three years while I was going to UCC and then came straight to Dublin and that's why my accent is oh 
all over the place. It's a big mishmash. And my mum had just come back from Canada. So yeah. I was the one going to school with a little mad Canadian oh, accent. Yeah. <laughs> so I never had a full on Cork accent, but it's still there. It's still there in, in the background. But so yeah. went to UCC and of course it did all the dramatic, any plays I could get my hands on and then busked on Winthrop Street. And uh, yeah. Um, what kind of stuff did you say? Oh, we did mostly Beatles, but anything yeah. that would get us, you know, 50 P's into the guitar case so <laughs> mm. yeah but again harmonies loads of harmonies myself and a guy called Mark Mark O'Sullivan right, okay. yeah so like um, I, I, I did a double act obviously and uh, I've done a couple of double acts and uh, I've always felt it's great for a while but there can be tension yeah there's always tension and in groups yeah even I found on who gets the the laughs Who's, who's getting the punchline? Oh, that's an awful one. That yeah. is, yeah, that's a terrible one. Yeah, I absolutely see that. And I will still fight for laughs. I'll still fight for laughs, even in, you know, co- collaborative thing. And I love collaborating. But, I mean, I don't mind it so much in the improv. It's lovely to set up for someone. It's such a team game. But I think mm, if you're writing something, yeah, if you're writing something, you're going, I haven't had a laugh for a couple of minutes. <laughs> I need one here. I know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, like, uh, it, it's unbelievable. It's, but I suppose that's what you go on stage for. You get on stage for laughs and yeah. there's two people or three people and you're vying for them. And I was, <laughs> that me and Paul, for example, were chopping lines up. I'd do one line, he'd do the next line. We wouldn't even let, our, let each other do two lines in a row. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and you're but, both so funny and, and inventive and creative that I can imagine you're coming up with lines even in the moment and you're kind of going, oh, he got a laugh there. I'll just ad lib something now. That, yeah, must, that must have happened as well. Upstaging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> Which is part of the dynamic. And there's always a the group dynamic is as much as it's kind of everything isn't it it's part of it is what's written and the rest of it's the dynamic and the the interplay between you the improv mm. is built on that but in any group from a double act up yeah there's going to be that sort of push and pull and mm. sure a lot of comedy comes from tension too so it has to be there a little bit it's there in every it's there in every double act yeah. every double yeah, act yeah, yeah. Is there so did you like kind of find that a bit Stressful after a while, or yeah, mm. it was no. I mean, I loved them. I'm still still mm. friends with Anne Sue, and it was great. There were always tensions. There are always tensions when you're on the road and stuff mm. like that. You know yourself, and um, oh, yeah. it's uh, it was more. I suppose I felt like a fish out of water a little bit because I hadn't set out to do comedy. I wasn't involved in comedy yet. I was dropped in in the deep end, really, because the newlys took off so quickly, mm. and suddenly it's like, oh, you're a comedian. I was going. But what about theatre? Um, and yeah. I was still thinking, if I don't focus on one thing, I've sure I've let this philosophy go. By the way, if I don't focus on one thing, then it'll be too dissipated. And and in a way, I you do have to focus on one thing in the moment when you're working on it. But I've also just taken up more of a more of the idea of if something presents itself, take it. Like if something presents itself yeah. and it's going well, take it, just do it. Uh, so that's that's the wisdom of getting older too. Um, but yeah, so I just took myself out of the Nula's equation to go back to do acting, um, and and still comedy dragged me back in, which was <laughs> right. Yeah. Every time I've tried to go, no, I'll just I'll just do the acting. It's like no, there's a funny thing happening over here, and it's like oh shit, I guess I do comedy now. So. And so when yeah. did you decide you were going to do stand-up as yourself, be your own uh, voice, which is a big jump if you're doing was, characters? Yeah, it's a big jump. And I don't 
think it's a jump I should necessarily have made. Mm. But because there weren't that many women around at the time, a lot of people were saying, you should do it. You know, it's kind yeah. of your duty to do it. You've got to, there are no, there are very few women doing it. And I was kind yeah. of going, oh, it's my duty. I should do it. Um, but I was never really comfortable doing it. I actually think weirdly, I've become more comfortable doing it now. I've learned what my joke writing is. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm more confident on stage anyway. And just not having either of those two and sort of feeling it was a bit of a duty. I, it just never really clicked for me. And also, I have this thing of, I want to watch stand-up. Same as with musical comics. I want to watch people being great. I don't want to watch people being grand. And I always felt I was grand. When I was emceeing, I was fine because I was yeah. living a bit more, chatting with people, much more at home doing that. Doing a set, I was just like, ah, God, this is only grand. And I'm just not loving it. And yeah. I, I was doing it to sort of tick a box. Um, but did you maybe feel that, that the club situation isn't for you? Yeah, not necessarily. Again, yeah, I, I'm seeing in a club, brilliant. Someone's drunk. Yeah. or they, In fact, my favorite bits of any set was when someone would heckle. Yeah. Because then I could just go off book and just go, this is great. Yeah. It's, woohoo, yay, now it's on and we're here. And it's, it's improv. So, mm-hmm. yeah, improv with an unwi- uh, one unwilling participant who threw themselves at you, which is great. Yeah, no, uh, it's brilliant. But, um, yeah, the club yeah. scenario, I suppose, yeah, and I, I hadn't really figured out what I, uh, something that no matter what, whether it's campaigning or, or writing or anything now, I'm saying, especially with a little bit of profile, it becomes more important to say, now that people are listening, what are you saying? Mm. So, and I didn't know what I was saying. I was doing it because I thought I was supposed to. I was always way happier at the improv mm. or writing mad songs or whatever um, and letting that bit of madness out. And I found it harder to unleash my madness through stand-up. It was, felt like, it felt, I guess that's what it was. I'm just tr- thinking about this now. It felt like a discipline to me, so I found it mm. hard to let the madness out. And as we know, the, the madness is the whole thing. Yeah, the madness <laughs> is the whole thing. But it is difficult to get that out for us because when I started doing stand-up, I struggled badly with that whole idea of this is my voice. Why are people listening to me? What yeah. have I got to say that's yeah. of interest? Yeah. And uh, I was so used to doing characters and it took me years to to, to be relaxed with it. I think, um, I do think, I've heard this before, I think it takes 10 to become a great stand-up. I honestly mm. do think it takes, there are some great people who have come out fully formed and but I think they're really rare and I, I've seen you do stand-up for many years so I don't, I don't agree with you that you were, you, that you might feel you struggle but I don't, I don't, I dis- respectfully disagree. Well, I'll tell you from my own point of view, I, I was, I was not me. I felt like I still wasn't me on stage. That's, I, I so you know, recognise that feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would never have told, been able to tell that from you but I recognise that feeling yeah. yeah I listened back to something I was doing I was doing maybe 10 years ago uh, recording and uh, I, I can hear it that's not me I'm not I'm just putting on a you're doing a, 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 a bit a bit yeah. yeah but it's not relaxed me yeah and yeah. I think that's when things really soar or certainly when you, you feel in the zone and you enjoy them the most even if they're hard to do or you're nervous that's when you're in the zone mm. but yeah I, yeah, I'd never, I, I never felt a click for me and so I did, did my 10 years time and then I gave up so. yeah. All right. <laughs> but you know some of those skills are still really useful especially for you know I still MC a lot and uh, some of those skills are still still really great but I am still fascinated by people who are just brilliant at it have put in their 10 years and are brilliant and it's just it's just fab to watch it's such an art form and in ways still underrated especially when people mm. are gigging and you know doing the clubs and doing them religiously and 
Um, and I hate that culture now. It's happening in music too, where you, you either go and pay 50 euro or 50 pounds to go and see someone in an arena that you've heard of and they're mm. from TV or you want it to be a free gig and um, people are going, they're not willing to pay to go and see someone they might not know from telly or, or know really well because they know lots of people from telly but and and that doesn't allow the middle group to thrive. Yeah. Those people that are are really starting to become brilliant yeah. because they're doing they're doing the gigs, they're putting in the time, they're finding their voice and they're becoming amazing. Um, you're going to miss them because and there I, aren't the gigs for them because people aren't willing to pay in. Uh, yeah, I think it's coming back now. I do too. I there was is. a really yeah. tough few years where clubs were closing. Terrible, people, yeah. Comedians weren't able to make a living from... Because that was how comedians made their, their living and were able to give up work, get really good at comedy, give up a sort of a, a nine-to-five job mm. is what I mean, and make their work their comedy. So they just gig, travel, gig, travel, getting better at what they did. And you might only be getting £50 here, £100 there in the UK, say... Mm. Um, but enough to, if you did enough gigs, you could survive. Yeah. And those middle range survival gigs were going. And yeah. that's just crippled people. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, I'd say it's coming back now. But for a few years, the free gigs are fucking ridiculous. Free in comedy yeah. is just I've a had, disgrace. I've had younger comics uh, jump on top of me because I've said that publicly. Yeah. And uh, I see where they're coming from. The swing. You were just saying that because you've had all the stage time and uh, you don't realize how hard it is to get people into a gig. And I'm going, I'm doing this a long time. I do know how hard it is to get people into a gig. You've no idea what it was like yes, trying to get stage time when it was just the international and you had to wait four months till your next gig. Because yeah, I mean, everyone was, you know. We've had so, to drop our, our uh, admission at the improv on a yeah. Monday because there's a free gig down the yeah, road. Yeah, and fair play to them, and I'm delighted. And then yeah. somebody said to me, "Do you well, do you care that it's free in to get the audience in if the acts are getting paid? I said, well, the acts getting paid for me is a given. It's like you can't do that much work on your material and getting your stage time and, and finding your voice and, and getting good and then do it for nothing. It's, it's, you know, you can't just keep doing that. It's not a hobby at a certain point, or it can't be. And then the other part of that is the contract the audience makes before they come in. Exactly. If their contract is, this isn't worth anything, they'll talk, they'll walk in and out. If they've paid even a five or even three or something that says at the door, this is worth paying in too. Yes, and I'm going to give something to the act. Yeah. I'm going to give the attention. Yeah, and the act, this is worth paying into. This is yeah. going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, whereas if it's free, they go, I'll go in on spec. And whether they realize it, or we talked about unconscious bias. What about unconscious bias towards comedians? Um, or, or musical acts, it happens to as well. Yeah. It's like, when it's a free gig... People aren't as engaged. They just aren't. And no. they can still be amazing gigs. And I'm not saying people aren't doing brilliant work at them. But I am definitely not a fan. No, it's bullshit. And I mean, you know, I mean, an awful lot of musicians have to sit in a corner and play while everyone chats. <laughs> when they <laughs> play the last chord, there's a round of applause. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, or wine bar gigs, worse. They kind of, all you can hear is clinking forks and hoo-de-boo-de-boo-de-boo. <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully, comedy can't be like that. Yeah. Because you just can't have a guy talking to himself in the corner. You, can't. <laughs> you can, and it's miserable. But you but, could, yeah, but you it could. wouldn't, yeah. really. It's not something that, you can't have background comedy. It's not a career. It's no. not something you'll have in a lift when you get into a little, oh, nice no. bit of background. Mm, yes, lovely. Ooh, well, I think I've heard this one before. Yeah, and I think it's really important that the clubs survive, the middle, the middle-sized clubs, yeah. because that is—I think—that's the essence of stand-up comedy. That is the essence. That's where the real work is happening. Because mm. once someone gets to arena size, they're probably so under pressure and so busy and doing so many other things and telly and all kinds of things. They probably have a writing team. They'll have say, of course, mm. and it'll be their voice and. 
it's not that they're not great comedians. They'll have a writing, but they will have a writing team. They'll have a lot of, uh, you'll have a, a, a PR team. They'll have all that sort of thing. Um, and it's in the middle grounds, though, where you might even get, you might still be getting hostile audiences. Once you're a name, the mm. audiences are predisposed to loving. They're there because they, they wouldn't have spent 75 pounds if they didn't love you. Mm. So they're going in already going, this is going to be know. amazing. Yeah. Whereas it's in those middle ground clubs, those middle sized clubs where people come in and go, I don't know. Show me, show me what you got. Go on, yeah, go no, for it. It's such a challenge there. I mean, I've walked into <laughs> two rooms where I go, oh man, these, are, these people are not going to like me. Yeah. And it's great when you turn yeah. it around and they do. They yeah. do like you tickle it. their tummies. Yeah, you go, yeah. come on, come on, come on, come with me. I promise I got something you like. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. That's, that's where the skill really is, I think. It's yeah. in saying, I've got something to say. I'm going to say and it. And it's when you're doing material that's a bit edgy and you can still bring people with you. Yeah. And that, I think that's only after 10 years you can start doing that. Yeah. You're yeah. not offending them. Yeah. They're coming with you, but you're still doing stuff that's a bit. Well, you're doing stuff that's important to you to yeah, say. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, uh, yeah. Let's keep so that's comedy so saved. Surprised. Brilliant. That's unconscious bias addressed and comedy saved. Brilliant. Um, this is a great... Po- I'm so excited we've yeah, done this, yeah, Joe. Yeah, what yeah. a public service. Okay. So, Tara, were you a, a comedy... Uh, sorry, no, a, like an acty child. Were you like, I yes. want to get on stage? That was really annoying. I was one of those really annoying kids who, yeah, wanted to be in school plays, wanted to put on plays if, if uh, other kids were around at home, you yeah. know, driving people nuts. Yeah, all of that. Yes, very annoying, but also really shy. And I think that's why I was an acting kid. I think it was, um, I felt so, like, I, I would never answer the phone. I hated answering the phone or having to make a phone call. Or Yeah, no, I'm that, I'm that shy. I'll still ask Carl, my husband, to do it. I'll say, oh, oh will you call them? I'm still that, that shy. But I, I found a way to say what it was I needed to say. So then, but the other thing was, I was always, I would always find overcoming, people would have thought I was a bit mouthy maybe because I would find a way to go, no, that's not, no, that's not right or that's not true. Um even teachers or whatever. Really, it's stand I'd, up. I'd go, no, I, uh, no, and I'd be quaking, but I'd go, it's, it's me quaking is, is not as bad as this going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, so I, I suppose I hate conflict, um, but I'd always rather go into it and get it sorted than, than shy away from it. So yeah, people mm-hmm. probably thought I was, you know, quite, quite acty and maybe even loud in that way, but I'd be, I'd be, you know, standing outside the room quivering before I'd go in. But you'd push yourself to Push do through it. it, yeah. Still stage, still on stage, it's like that. It, it's incredible. I, I, <laughs> the first five years didn't stand up, I was shitting it before every gig. Yeah. And I still did it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's, it's that, uh, you know, I can either, I could, because you do go through, I could walk away. <gasps> I've, I've had I that could, thought. I could totally not do this. this be, no one would care. It'd be fine. I've had, that, get over I've, it. I've had that thought in Vicker Street. Yeah. So I could just go home now and just sit down and watch TV. <laughs> I could just do it and never do stand-up again. It's sure feck it, you know. But, but, but you never do that. You always go on. Always and I think that's funny because people will always go, oh, you guys aren't shy. And it's like, I think if they knew what those nerves are like, and I think it's useful to talk about them, that anxiety mm. visits us all. And you've been so candid about anxiety and, and yourself. And, and I, think, mm. I think everyone... Almost every performer suffers it. I know I do. And uh, I found performance helpful to get me through it as opposed to the other way around. Mm. Oh, yeah. What happens then uh, as years go on, you're uh, really worried when you're not nervous. 
Got yes. Something wrong here. Yeah. Am I? Oh, have I not prepped enough? <laughs> obviously, there's something I've forgotten. If I feel fine, yeah. Because what can happen is you'll just wander on stage, and then suddenly this massive rush of adrenaline will hit you, and you can't even t- think. Yeah. Yeah, you go like, blank. What's going on? And also the, the bad the bad angel, the devil on your shoulder starts going, You're shit. <laughs> what do you think you're doing out here? You're shit. You're shit. They think you're shit. Yeah. And you're going, Shut up, bad angel and meanwhile you're supposed to be delivering a line. <laughs> yeah, no, like, that's all I found that really bad going from clubs to the bigger venue. I started doing gigs in bigger venues where yeah. suddenly it's not individual faces, it's just a load of heads. It's a bank. There's a, there's a <laughs> bank of people here and a bank of people there, yeah. And it's hard to speak to a, a massive it's hard to speak to just a lot of people without seeing a face that you yeah. can just yeah right and then and then you didn't you didn't uh, study you went to college you didn't study drama you did you went to well I I wanted to go to drama school but it was just too expensive at the time like it was mm. it was 1990 when I finished college and it was like the, the, I don't think the Gaty School had started up here um, but. I looked at, I, I used to, my fan, my fantasy, like when lads were getting porn mags, I was getting <laughs> prospectuses from English drama schools yeah. and then turning to the back and seeing the fee for the year, like £3,000 and going, oh, well, that's, no, okay, well, that's not an option. No. So what I did was uh, I did English and French at UCC and in second year of uh of um, arts at UCC you could do a, a course called European Drama which had a practical element you put on a play at the end you studied Stanislavski you did study a lot of the texts you'd study at drama school anyway that was very condensed and it was only a tiny portion of what you would do at drama school but we did a bit of that and then I just joined the Dramat Society did whatever um, plays I could uh, in the spare time and uh, then did any drama units through I was trying to tailor make the degree to be yeah. drama. Yeah. Drama and linguistics, which I really loved. I, I really loved um, breaking language down, which, you know, really helps with this career too and oh, voiceovers yeah. and things and accents and all of that. Um, um, so you, you would have done some drama in college? Then, yeah, a little yeah. bit, yeah. a little bit, but through other subjects. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tiny bit. And then when I left, I came up to Dublin and I started stage managing and stuff straight away. I just wanted to get involved. So I, I remember my first job was at the project. And uh, yeah. yeah. Doing yeah. stage management? Doing stage management. Yeah. 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 Just, uh, I think it was a Cork Theatre Company. Mm. It's very hazy because it's so long ago. But a Cork Theatre Company. And uh, so I knew a couple of people there. And I said, yeah, just got straight in, just doing whatever I could just to be around theatre making mm. and learn as much as I could. So it was hook. just complete, it was vocation. You, you just, yeah, yeah. I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah, I did. I, I didn't, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'd love to be um, a giant Broadway, you know, serious actress someday, you know. But I, I love, I love comedy and I love the it's, it's just brilliant sometimes if you let your career take you where it it mm. wants to go you end up in a more interesting place and um yeah so it's i'm in a very interesting place not always secure but it's interesting oh yeah 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 we all are <laughs> <laughs> and and how did you end up like because you do lots of voice i don't know if you still do voiceover but for a while yeah, you not were as, not as many not as many now you know the voiceover when you were on the phone fo- uh, arrive on a float <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the queen of the voiceovers. Yeah, no, I, I was very lucky. Um, lucky in some ways because I think it made me not follow my writing as much, or you know, because mm. I was busy with those. I was busy with those, and there was money coming in. Yeah, and yeah. and money can make you lazy. Um, right. in terms of discovering 
things. Yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. I was busy with that and I was doing admin on that. And that was almost like an office job. So I'd do the voiceovers and then I'd be doing paperwork and, you know, and on the phone. And, and so I was doing a full work day, but I wasn't necessarily being creative. So yeah. it was in a weird way. It, it probably slowed me down a bit or something. Mm. Um, mm. But I was very grateful of the the money. I could use some of it now. Uh, but I, I, I'm still very grateful to be in the creative spot that I'm in. But yeah, mm. I love voice work. You know, I met you doing a fair few voiceovers yourself, and it's I don't do brilliant. Any more now. Yeah, I used to do them. Uh, it's brilliant work. Yeah. I love it. I would treat everyone like an acting gig. Everyone like a character, even if it was a you know a, a brand. It would still be like I'm talking to someone. I'm. I'm saying this thing. I, I, I'm not a fan of voiceovers where you put on a voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's more like I'm talking to somebody. That's probably the. And I'm telling them. Yeah. I'm telling them a thing. You know. So I never got the main voice. I was always the character person, but I could never be the guy telling you. Hi, I'm the guy. <laughs> this yeah. is what you need in your life. But yeah, it's I, it's people so, don't trust me. But it's always, no, they don't have not a bit of it, not a bit of it. But I do, yeah, I don't know what the secret is, and it's like they want mm. different kinds of voices now. And also, I'm sure there's a bit of you know my voice has been in a few different things, and you know, mm. so it's it's good to change things up. You can't be bitter when things change. That's no. the other thing. It's like I I've certainly found people going uh, well, you know, um, do, is it, you know, how, how's that not working as much as you? I'm going well. Look, I always knew that that was a jammy time. That that was a, an in fashion mm. moment, and you know, I'm still very lucky to keep working. I have to you know spin a few extra plates and do a few different things. But that's good. That's a mm. good thing. Um, it, it's a bit more of a struggle financially, but it's it's a mm. good thing. I oh, know the voice or when it was good, it was a nice little. Yeah. Extra bit of cash. Very much so. I was in my late 30s and I was still doing, uh, on the voiceovers, I was uh, the student. Wow, we see, but you've got an ageless voice. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Not anymore, but... Yeah, Yeah, I keep trying to say, hey, I can still do this. But you just won't get cast. They see your picture. Ageism happens in funny ways and they see a photo and they go, no, she can't be a young mother ever again. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, guys. It doesn't matter if you can get that voice. I should Um, get someone else's photo. I should get my son's photo. Yeah, I should do that. This is uh, Trixie Trixie McGinty. Mm. (laughs) She's 29. But then when I come in, I suppose I'd have to wear a balaclava or something like that. We just get, we could just say, I don't like to be looked at. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I can't do my voice unless I'm invisible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You face away. If you're looking at me, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, we should open up. We we found a way to, so that's unconscious bias. the, the ageism. Ageism. Yeah, we've we're sorted the whole all the boxes. thing. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's brilliant that we're here. Middle, 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 uh, middle-sized clubs. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh yeah, we've got them as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. But I guess we should talk. I mean, you have um, of late. Um, no, maybe. When is it the first you got kind of into satire? You got like you start. Like, that yeah. was really weird because I've never considered myself. I, 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 mm. I'm, I'm originally from. Cork, my, all my family is West Cork or East Clare. And it's mm. like the whole thing is never talk about your politics. Never. You never know who you're talking to. Never talk about your politics. And so I've always sort of had that in the back of my mind and been very private about what I, what I believe or whatever. Uh, but I, I suppose what changed for me was when it went from party politics, which leave me a little bit cold. Yes. And I think don't move very much. And they've got a tow party lines and I don't really love the whole idea of it. It's, it's rubbish, uh, people just doing impressions. I mean... Well, there's that in terms of then comedic takes. It's people yeah people that doesn't say people anything. in suits doing impressions of people in suits and i don't yeah. know that it says anything and and no. and that's the thing satire here or 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 topical comedy becomes 
it has to go down that impressions road very yeah. often. And I was like, well, I can't really do impressions of very many people, so I, that's not open to me anyway, but let alone what I want to say. And I don't think it's that. It doesn't actually get to the crux of the matter. Even when, uh, I can't remember who was doing Sarah Palin. Tina Fey, yeah. Fey, it was a good impression, but I don't think it actually... I think she did give voice to. Uh, I think she did give voice to a few people who were frustrated at the time with with the the rise of Sarah Palin and, and it that almost became she, Sarah Palin. Then got in on the joke. I know that that's a troubling thing to me. That's that sort mm. of a, that's when things become a little problematic. But I guess for me, it's when it shifted into uh, human rights, for want of a, a, a less highfalutin thing. Well, yeah. it was about marriage equality. That's well, how I, I got into it. It's not doing anything unless people are offended. If everyone's going, ha, 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 wasn't that hilarious yeah. last night, then you're not. Yeah, then it's safe and cosy. And what you're trying yeah. to do is going, I see something that's unsafe and uncozy happening mm. and I want to puncture that a little bit. Mm. Um, and so, so that's for me, it's like targeting unfairness. If, if that's not too, it sounds so po-faced when you try and analyze it. But what really happened was, uh, well, one of the first things was, and it was, it was actually about, it was actually about the Eighth Amendment. <laughs> so uh, long before uh, I was even vocal about it myself, you were in that, that very quick short called Bishop Knows Best. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where I thought it was just ridiculous. It was comical. I was going, it's comical that um, bishops are asked to, to speak on human rights issues yeah. unless they're speaking to their flock where if their flock want counselling and guidance absolutely they should go to their bishop why are the bishops going into the doyle to give so I did a thing called Bishop's Knows, bishop knows Best where I tried to make it feel like a 1950s comedy mm. uh, you were the bishop mm. um, and you were just telling me how to live my life mm. That was a very early repeal the eighth before yeah. I could be vocal on it. it. Was a very early me going. Can we talk about this comedically? Let's see if we can. Yeah, yeah. So it went on yeah. from there. That suddenly was people like uh, you know people were sending. I remember people on Twitter sending it to the Catholic bishops and saying, "What do you have to say about this?" And it was so gentle, yeah. like it was so tentative. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were still going, oh, do you see this? Oh, such mockery. And I was like, oh, boy, wow, we st- are we still there? Really? Yeah, but really anyway, it didn't make many waves. And that was okay because it was was good good initial outing. And mm-hmm. thank you for doing it. You were very, oh, very kind to do it. Um, and then the next thing that happened was the marriage equality referendum started to rear its head. And I noticed that uh, a very conservative religious element with lots of money was putting out videos. Mm. I went, okay. What? These are a bit ridiculous to my eye, and yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna lampoon them. So I lampooned them. Yeah, and, and that that's suddenly that was the real moment that people said, "Oh, satire! Oh, I see." Um, and did that get a, that that uh, got a that got a big response? Yeah, that got a big response. A lot of shares, and yeah, um, from the, uh, the I don't know, and I've I I never sort of I, I don't have one particular target. I have more. Um, uh, a target and also I don't like to give people that I think have enough money to do their own advertising I don't like to mm. give them I don't like to give them oxygen mm-hmm. um, so uh, I don't have one particular target but what I do is I'll take the premise that they're putting out and lampoon that mm. um, because it, it does seem a bit ridiculous to me being against others rights to to do what they need to do in their lives to determine their own lives and futures is mad to me just mm. mad so when people and what can I do I'm not a human rights lawyer. I'm not a, a constitutional law analyst. I'm not a, a medical doctor in any way. What can I do in terms of things like repeal the eighth or in terms of, of marriage equality? 
I can bring humor to it. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I've gone, gone into the campaigning realm a little more, almost by accident. Um, but it started with going, okay, well, they've got loads and loads of money to make these ads. I think they're, those ads are cruel and ridiculous. Um, so I can, if I enlist a bit of help, like Dermot O'Brien, who you know made Bishop Knows Best, mm-hmm. made Race B&B, made um, the animations for the other videos, marriage quality videos, uh, enlisting help and just going, okay, we have no money to do this, but it means something to us, so let's just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was that that got me in. As a, so, well, that's what I can offer. Like, I can't offer, I can't really stand you know in Doyle Air and offering a you know yeah. a bearing witness to anything I, I can't be a politician what I can do is say I think those things are ridiculous I, I think they're so ridiculous in their premise that they're funny yeah and yeah. show show that so that's that's really what happened and and then um the next video that w- was uh, to do with what ca- happened to Carl your yeah husband yeah racist B&B yeah say, oh, racist so B&B. yeah yeah so um, racist B&B was yeah it was me sort of as an ally because obviously I'll never experience racism because I'm white and mm. um, definitely not structural racism and uh, and all the rest of it the kind of which we're seeing very much in the US at the moment um but what I wanted to highlight then as an ally was to say even jokes even epithets they they are a slippery slope they are the bit. They're the bit we can stem the flow of racism. They're the bit. There we cannot do a traveller accent and say that it's funny. Mm. We. Mm. They're the bits where we can stop attitudes from from becoming normalised and from growing to the proportion mm. that we're seeing in the US at the moment. Um, and so that was what that is. I didn't know it was coming down the line in terms of the US. Um, and I don't want to add too much more. I, I think that's definitely something where I want to be a, an ally, but I don't want to take any platform from a person of color who can yes. share their experience. Yeah. But what I thought I could do was reach out to other pe- other um, other white people and say, you know, ev- it's not funny. And it's not, you know, every time you, words have power, mm. let's maybe choose not to use them. Mm. You know, it's something that uh, surprised me in Irish society, this racism. And it only because I suppose I lived... In Ireland, when it was predominantly white, yeah, we're really ninety nine percent white, yeah, and so we all thought, oh, we're not racist, yeah, Do you know, but yeah, and, but we're, and we were uh, fine if the uh, black people were the odd celebrity, yeah, but if you're the neighbour, that's basically when it became. Well, you know, the direct provision isn't isn't really known about by that many people. That's kept nice and quiet, yeah. you know, uh, for refugees and asylum seekers, basically kept in camps in yeah, this country. Yeah, that's racism, um, you know. Um, yeah. Things like structural racism and you know white privilege and white supremacy that we don't even see, that we because we don't have to. I've I've been on a very steep learning curve, you know. I'm and I'm trying to just be as humble as I can and go. It's very easy to get defensive and go. I'm not racist because I don't intend any harm to you. Yeah. Um. But if you've ever said you know uh, nude tights, you know nude lipstick, flesh colored tights, right. you mean beige. Right, but right, it's right, it's right. culturally acceptable to say that whiteness is the center. Whiteness is the default. Right, yeah, yeah. Jesus, Things like that. Yeah, flesh-colored tights. Yeah, right. they're not flesh-colored. We mean everybody. beige. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We mean and, and off-white, flat pinky, first. yeah, stick, sticky flat, yeah, yeah, invisible or whatever the hell they say. I don't mm. know. But mm. anyway, it's um, that stuff's very interesting to me. It's something I, I've been defensive about. I've gotten into conversations where I've said, no, I'm not, I, I'm not, but I'm not like that. And that's not useful in the conversation. Mm. It's better to go, yes, I see that that exists and I'm doing my best not to add to it. Mm. I'm doing my best not to add to it. Yeah. I'm, I'm never going to, you know, I'm never going to get to the bottom of it. I've been too... Because because the thing is, it, it's it's about power. It's about people wanting to hang on to their power. So while they're in power, we're all going to be playing catch up going, oh, hang on. No, I, I, no I'm just not going to use that racist epithet or I'm not going to say travelers are other or, you know, I'm going to do my best in yeah. whatever small ways I can to make sure that doesn't. That it's not accepted as the norm and whiteness isn't the default or middle classness isn't the default. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like, there's some mad stuff. I, I remember my neighbour coming across me going, yeah, and he goes, like, yeah, I hear they, the minute they arrive from Nigeria, they get a, a grant to get their hair done. And you're like, what? Wow. What are you talking about? Wow. <laughs> Where did this rumour turn up? I, like? I don't know. But there there are so many ways that, you know, um, and even that, that it's like hair, the sort of fetishization of people of colours. Because they're hair. Yeah. skin colour, uh, Really inappropriate sexual jokes. Um, people right. have no problem coming. My, microaggressions that happen all day long to people of color. And that, you know, they, they just sit there having to just either choose to have that battle. Or yeah. go, I'm just going to let that one go because no one's punching me in the head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the people sexual will, thing is very similar. Like if you're Irish and people go, oh, you must drink a lot. You yeah. need to get that in England. But yeah, it would be dissimilar. People will come up to me and, and mm. talk about my husband's penis. Yeah. And uh, you'll be standing right next to me and I'm going... Oh, would you just just you know really <laughs> you know so sometimes again I just I'm not a person of color I don't get it all day long mm. I don't know how more people don't get punched I honestly don't I yeah. honestly don't they must be exhausted yeah it's constant just, uh, ridiculous it's just, and so but again it's not and overt racism it's not someone throwing a brick through a window or hitting someone with a plank or stabbing yeah, somebody yeah it, but Although it is constant oh that does happen yeah but i think the way we can the way the one of the most simple ways we can help is to say just stand up when someone says a racist joke or not choose say to do not, not to choose to make race or or gender or class or whatever it is mm. the butt of the joke as a comedians that's what we can do mm. so you know what and that was when 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 this uh, what we called alternative comedy started that was definitely the rules mm. the rules were you don't do racist sexist stuff and you know what it was kind of then a younger generation of comedians came don't tell me what i can't say and they were doing that but yeah but and usually yeah it is shock it is shocking to me and i think you know mm. we've got to have some bounds where we say you know it's just there's nothing wrong with being kind. There's nothing wrong with being mannerly. Mm. There's nothing. And I'm not saying don't fucking swear. I'm not saying be a goody two shoes, but I am saying if someone says that hurts me and normalizing that behavior can lead to my actual mm. bodily harm, then yeah, don't no. do it. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with talking about your own inherent racism and making fun of that. Yeah. You know, because that's, we're, yeah. That's, well, that's, mm. to me, that's useful. It's helpful. Helps you learn. I've, I'm mm. still learning. So I never want to say, I know about race. I don't. I can't. Mm. What I can do is listen mm -hmm. and say, okay, it's not useful to do certain 
things in comedy. It's because it does normalize certain behaviors and it leads to people's harm. And unfortunately, with, with racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, all of those, if you normalize those things as jokes or sort of social othering, yeah. um, this sounds very highfalutin, but you, you, I think you know what I mean. But that's when it leads to, it leads to acts of harm. It does. It does. And we've seen that in the US. And, and I, I hate that it's happened that quickly. I, I kind of, I'm in shock at how quickly the normalization has led to actual harm. But that's where we're at. And uh, I think Ireland has a chance. There's a window here. I think we do have a chance because I think we do have we a can society get ahead of it. where people do mix a bit more. Yeah, I think so. I do so. see uh, young black uh, kids and white kids mixing a lot around and yeah well you, go, but you, you won't know, really and, see that many settled kids and traveler kids that's mixing. true and and so but we have a chance to question that and get ahead of that i, I do think we can but it's going to take a little bit of honesty and it's going to be uncomfortable it's yeah. going to take us going i've said that about travelers or you know i have and call yourself on it and just go you know rather th- it's not going to be useful to go well i don't do that and then do nothing mm. it's, you start by going yeah i've been complicit i didn't mean it I didn't mean to, but I just received a lot of information about this that might not have been the right information, mm. might have been serving somebody else, and now I have, I have a chance to, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to make me feel like it a is, dick. because you know, yeah, I know, I've done, I've yeah. said things to Yes, of course, there. we all have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm way more interested in having chats now with people who go, yeah, me too, fuck, yeah, what can we do? Let's, let's, how, let's have a think. Yeah. How can we stop doing that and make it less normal to do that? Yeah. Um, rather than people going, no, listen, we've got to be able to say whatever we want to say, otherwise you're the Nazis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't be telling me yeah how to speak start with yourself to use. Yeah, start yeah, with yourself yeah, yeah. and go i know i haven't started with myself i know i've i'm i'm having to get over myself and be really uncomfortable and i i'm i'm learning every day and it's so painful and sometimes i just blush at things i've said in the past yeah and, but it's a better space to be i think yeah 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 um and you know that kind of leads me on to uh the repeal the eighth and the way that you've talked about uh you, your abortion right yeah now. because to me, I've struggled with religion <laughs> growing up. We I've all to, have, Joe. No, what I've struggled with is trying to get it out of my yeah, same system. Here. Oh, God, all the woo I've done in the mean, horoscopes, the whole lot, to, to bridge that gap. Yeah. Because it's so prevalent in well, your Well, because life. you've been brainwashed. I've been yeah, brainwashed I have as to. a young child. Yeah. I've been told I would go I feel too. to hell if I masturbated, basically. Yeah. And I actually stopped. I used to try and but stop myself. what a way to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Happy, well, I mean, satisfied, and mentally healthy. <laughs> it's really hard to say, uh, to say that uh, to uh, maybe people who are maybe, my, say, my kids' age, around 19 or whatever. That they, uh, I'm not, not that I talk about that with them, actually. But, you know, uh, there comes a point. But... Um, that that I uh, I would consider myself fairly rational in a way, mm. but I had to struggle with all that. Me too. And uh, I think that's the problem we have. Would you say with abortion here as well? Religion's one aspect, definitely, and mm. because it's like it's separate on one level. On another level, it's kind of everything. Um, so on one level, there are lots of people of faith who are pro-choice. Many, many, many people of deep faith who believe in the mm. Catholic teaching that that the moment you conceive. That's, that's a human life and that's it. It's a whole round of yep. human life. The same as me sitting here live and breathing. Uh, that, that's what some people believe. They still need to access abortion. 
sometimes. Mm. Um, they, they, you know, people find themselves in all kinds of situations. So in some ways, it's not about religion at all. Um, it's just about health care. In other ways, the indoctrination we, re- we believe about abortion, that we receive about abortion is, it certainly has been up until now, because nobody talked about it except to hear it was a terrible thing. It was a mortal sin. You're going straight to hell. Mm. Um, you're excommunicated and uh, you're straight to hell. And, uh, and when you've been brought up a Catholic where that is everything is going to heaven and being reunited with the, the face of God and all your family and everything, that's mm. a really massive threat and a really massive loss. Um, but mm. one of the things that, you know, I, I was already moving away from the church as I, was, as I was starting to leave school, but I still had that thing of God, but it does, what if hell does exist? And I'm now, I've now moved so far away from that, I'm fine that it doesn't. It mm. doesn't for me. It doesn't. I know it does for some people. But the thing with abortion is we need to speak about it as health care and not as a moral judgment on someone. It's always been presented to us as a moral quagmire. And actually, for some people, it's a very simple decision. They're just not able to parent in that moment. They yeah. just either don't have the money or they have mental health issues or they have, uh, they're in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. They have four kids already. Uh, they, there are so many reasons people choose it. We can't judge. I feel we can't judge them. Um, and I feel that only a very absolutist moral code judges someone like that. Um, because usually when people personalize it and realize it, that those are some of the situations people find themselves in mm. or a wanted pregnancy that becomes unviable because that the fetus isn't viable and that's a tragedy for the person. And then we're going to compound their tragedy by making them travel or go through a legal battle. Mm. That is just unthinkable to me absolutely unthinkable and um so i'm campaigning i'm one of the campaigners to repeal the eighth amendment which would only be the start of the battle really because then we'd have to have legislation get people trained up to do the procedure make sure Mm -hmm. you know find out where the procedures would happen all of that but repealing the eighth is the first one and it's the most important one because what it says is in the constitution uh women aren't equal and women and trans men aren't equal we're not equal and what it is is that that a a fetus is equal to me I'm the same as a fetus. Yeah, I'm valued the same mm, mm. as a fetus. Most people, when they think about it, and it becomes a problem of not having enough pro-choice language because we've never heard it before. We just haven't talked that way here. Mm. But people not real, you know, most people understand. Well, I think most people understand that no matter what their beliefs are, that a fetus and me are different entities. Mm-hmm. That it may be a potential life, but it's not a person yet. Many people believe that so it is. You could say that uh, a sperm is a potential life. You could. So and every time. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's in my show. He's killing. Well, that's in my show. It's like uh, not, not pe- most people don't actually believe that every sperm is sacred. If they were, they wouldn't be as quick to do the laundry. Yeah, you know, if, yeah. they, if they did. So it's like uh, uh, most people, when they really think about it, they don't have that knee jerk. No, abortion's bad. No, no, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's murder. When they stop and think about what they really believe, they don't believe that a fetus and a woman are the same. And that's what, that's what the Eighth Amendment says, that legally they're the same. And sometimes, you know, it, for, it, for, it forces medical professionals to make awful choices mm. or the wrong choice or to prioritize the fetus sometimes over the, the, the born woman. The mother's life. Yeah. The mother, mother's mm. life. And mm. it's... Uh, We've seen tragedies already. We're going to see more until we change it. And mm. I, do, I hate that fact. But that's why I have urgency in, in terms of when people saying, would you not shut up about that now? We're sick of hearing about it. Yeah, me too. I'm absolutely fucking sick of talking about it. Mm. But I can't stop talking about it because we're going to see more tragedies. Um, 
banning abortion doesn't stop abortions happening. It stops safe abortions happening. Mm. People will harm themselves to end a pregnancy if they're desperate. And only people who are in a desperate situation. It's called a crisis pregnancy for a reason. Mm. You're in crisis. And you'll do any- Believe me, you'll do anything. I was lucky I had a credit card. I was able to travel and get health care in Holland. I was able to get an abortion in Holland. Mm-hmm. I felt so not judged there. I felt looked after. Um, and then, you know, just knowing that there are people who don't, that the issue affects the, the worst off the worst. The worst off, the most vulnerable are the worst that's, affected. Yeah. And that's kind of people, people who can't travel. In a poverty trap. In keeps a way. people in a poverty trap. Yeah. It keeps them in the poverty cycle. It keeps uh, it. It, uh, it causes women to to harm themselves. Mm-hmm. It um, it adversely affects people in uh, in uh, underprivileged communities or migrant women who don't have visas. Um, so people in direct provision, yeah. where are they going to get the money for an abortion on nineteen sixty or whatever it is a week? Mm-hmm. Let alone the visa issue. Um, uh, so it's like we talk about the women who travel and we say, oh, it's so terrible. They have trouble. It is terrible. It's a horrible, lonely journey. But I feel lucky that I was able to go. And I am not the story, you see. I'm the everyday story. We need to look after the people who are the most vulnerable. Yeah. The people who, who, who have four kids, who are, are in living in fear. And we've got, to, we've got to make sure they're safe. They're, people will harm themselves. That's the reality. I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not being overdramatic. People drink bleach. Yeah. People crash their cars. People do things to end pregnancies because they, they could now get a pill from their GP. They could, mm-hmm. that, could, that could happen. To, you know, if the Eighth Amendment was gone, that could happen very quickly. That in the very, very early stages, which is when over 90% of abortions happen, they could take a pill under their doctor's supervision. And it's all done mm. safely without having to have a surgical abortion very, very early on, which, most, which is what most people favor if they talk about it. I, I think that's worth fighting for. Absolutely. Um, so I guess was it a difficult decision to go public? With the fact yes, yeah. <laughs> it was. And there were days where I wish it wasn't public. Mm. I, I, I joke that, you know, I hate that, you know, I go to the supermarket now and what people are thinking about is my uterus when they see me. <laughs> I'd like them to think about my jokes. Uh, but um, but it is uh, it was very difficult. But it was just after the marriage equality referendum, and right. I just like I'm telling a lie now. I'm helping the government by colluding in this lie. Yeah, that doesn't happen here. That it's not people we know. I thought, right, I've got to put my face to it. So I did. Very but it courageous. was scary. Well, yeah, it turned out that there was a bit of abuse, but. Mostly people are supportive because they've been through it themselves mm-hmm. or they know someone or they just feel it's, it's the right thing to not meddle in someone else's life and future mm-hmm. because they won't be around to help them. So most people, e- I find fair. that even people who say they're anti-abortion, just blanket anti-abortion, I'm against it, it's murder, I'm against it. You will still say to those people, well, would you have, would, do you think I should be in prison? Would you have stopped me traveling? And they say, no. Well, their pro-choice is what it is. What they're saying is, I I think it's awful. I would never have one myself. I would hate... That's their choice, yeah. That's exactly. It turns out they're pro-choice, but they will, because the the discussion with a capital D is being framed as pro-abortion or anti-abortion, it's quite cleverly been constructed that way. People who would be pro-choice don't even know. You're not saying to them. You're not forcing people. No, no. In fact... 
what what anti-choice people advocate for is forcing people to continue a pregnancy with which yeah. they can't cope for whatever the reason is. And uh, most people aren't for that when they really think about it. So they're pro-choice. They might be anti-abortion, but they're pro-choice. And we still haven't got that language out there. It, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get that message out that, yeah. you know, it, you don't have to ever have an abortion yourself. You don't have to yeah. like the idea of it, but you have to hate the idea. To be pro-choice, you just have to hate the idea of forcing someone into those horrible situations we've just mentioned. Yeah, but there seems to be a viciousness from from the uh, people you're up against. I mean, really vicious. Yeah, it is vicious. And it's depersonalizing, you know? It's They stop seeing you as a human and they, they try to call your character into, into to judgment as well. And mm. it's like, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just mm. saying I had to travel for an abortion. I had to travel for an abortion. I needed one. I, I was... Uh, absolutely devastated when I got pregnant. I had taken the morning after pill. It didn't work. And I had to travel for an abortion. I was lucky that I was able to. Um, I, I just told that story. And then I started hearing from lots of other people who've been through it or people who are going through it right now. So that adds urgency to your to one's campaigning. Um, and then they started to just, you know, oh, I'm a slut and I'm uh, a murderer and um, someone photoshopped a picture of me in my repeal sweater saying I ab- aborted my only child as if I was boasting about it. And it's like what I've done is try to share, you know, how the difficulty of the decision but the clear-cutness of it for me because I wasn't able to be a parent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and be as honest about that as possible. So they've taken my honesty and made it a point against me. And it's just very, it's interesting if I step back from it. It's hurtful and weird if I let myself be in it. It's um, it's also like totally against what Christianity should be about, really. It's, well. If you take your love your neighbour, if, if you wanted to do something, you could you could look after foster children or... Yeah, there are a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are several children in the care system in this country. I don't see any of these people who are taking pot shots at me advocating for their care. Mm. You know, uh, it's it's uh. you know, and they'll say things like adoption is always almost always an option, and it's like, well, first of all, sometimes the pregnancy you can't continue being pregnant. The pregnancy is the crisis, yeah. so it's not possible to force that on someone. But also, even if someone were to go to term and decide to give a, a, a baby, a then born baby, up for adoption. You know, no, I don't see any of them advocating f- to re- to reform the, the the situation around adoption and care here. Mm. So it's it's quite hypocritical. And if you're saying love thy neighbour, well, love the neighbour who's who's had to make that choice. She felt she had no other no other mm. way. And all that energy put into hate. <laughs> I mean, you could put it into <laughs> into shaming and stig- stigmatizing and saying mm. you're you're a disgusting person. Mm. And it's like instead of going, well, that happened to her. You know, that's what happened to her. That's what happened to this person who's I guess sometimes disgusting and sometimes grand and sometimes funny and sometimes comedian and sometimes you know a partner or whatever mm. but but just making me disgusting and, yeah. ma- and and that they do that on purpose to stop people speaking and it has stopped some other people speaking out who want to share their stories it has stopped some people I know that for a fact because yeah. they told me um but it also stops people talking to each other mm. And most conversations happen like this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I was in a relationship and and my girlfriend got pregnant and and she had an abortion. And we were still in a relationship after it, but we didn't want to have a child. You weren't ready to be parents. We were ready. That's such a responsible decision. Parenthood, you're a parent now. You're a fantastic dad. And parenthood 
to me, is such a huge deal. I don't think it should be entered into lightly and definitely not against someone's will. Mm-hmm. It's hard enough when someone goes into it willingly. Mm-hmm. You know, and you've got it when you need your resources. Totally. <laughs> At least the willingness is there as one of your resources. Yeah. Imagine yeah. if it's forced on someone. Imagine mm-hmm. a, a child growing up with a parent who's been... It's a big decision. It's a huge decision. Mm-hmm. And I always say, I always say to people, I can't believe when they say, I can't believe you say you take that so lightly. I'm saying, I, I have never said I took it lightly. It was a huge decision for me. It was the right decision, but a huge decision. Also, I can't believe you think parenting is just nothing. I can't mm-hmm. believe you th- you're taking parenting lightly. I think parenting yes, is... Yes, yes, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it's, a, it, it's a funny one, you know? Yeah, but look, I, love, I didn't get to see show live. You sent me... Uh, a, Vimeo, a link to it and um, I loved it it was <laughs> oh, brilliant. brilliant I'm so glad it really really made the a point but also the humour brings it along and that's why you know all those years working <laughs> in comedy but they really helped to yeah I, I mean people uh, say oh you, you know and, and a lot of people said when I and I, the show is even called Not A Funny Word it's show I did at the Peacock if people mm. don't know about it but it's show I did at the Peacock as a work in progress um, so mm. very lucky the Abbey Theatre helped, helped me to put it on but um, uh, Philly McMahon directed it, who's absolutely brilliant. Did Riot and, and you know did, did panties shows and stuff. He's absolutely brilliant. So it was a great team and all of that. Um, but it was I wanted to take it. All of that stuff made me write the show. I wanted to a what can I add humor? Hopefully, yeah. Because I'm not an expert. And I, as I said in one of the Q and A's, I've only had the one abortion. I don't know lots and lots and lots about it. Um, yeah. But I can share my experience. I can make it funny. I hope you know certain aspects of it yeah and then at the point in the show where it's about to happen that's very serious yeah 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 i've seen that's a serious point i go i go very Mm. go right inside i go right to the where how upset i was and all that that comes out in the show too but i wanted to to be able to tell that story tell the whole story rehumanize myself and i'm not a thing or something that the anti-choicers say i'm not a campaign yeah i'm a person person Good person, and and I need you too. But you know, I'm all of that. <laughs> but you need, and I, I just, I mean, what I'm saying is, you need that humour in the show to make the serious part, yeah, work as well, yeah. and I to help digest it. it. And so we yeah, also thought yeah, that yeah. we we do bring it round. I, I won't won't give it away in case it comes back, but we do yeah. bring it round back to fun by the end, just to give people that release. So that they're not just being... Because a lot of talks, and it's, it's necessary, it's really important to, to hear people's stories, but they're always quite heavy. They're, because they are heavy. They, it's mm-hmm. a traumatic experience. Make, mm-hmm. A crisis pregnancy is a traumatic experience. And, so it's, and it takes it out of you to talk about it. And, but they're necessarily respectful. They're necessarily uh, worthy and calm and heavy and slow and, and sad sometimes. But the only... So I wanted to, because I do a lot of those kind of talks and I wanted to go is there a way to do this where I can also bring my special skill which is humor into Mm. it and help people digest that story without feeling hit over the head with a very heavy story Mm. so that was the aim and I think I achieved it I think you did oh great I'm so glad I really hope it comes back me too fingers crossed (laughs) fingers crossed I hope so um but listen, it's been brilliant chatting to you. Oh, you know, I was going to say, I actually was a bit shocked. We did an improv show uh, uh, here and we, we, we gave the money to repeal the eighth. Yeah. But we've got two emails of people who were a bit upset. By yeah. That, that but really shocked me. I don't think that, it shocked me as well because yeah, I, there were no complaints about the Abbey show. Mm, there, mm. Usually what we're finding as we go on, there are a few, there's a very tiny minority of people who will get mm. vocal about mm. um, being anti-choice. For me, you see, maybe the, they're getting the wrong. 
as you say. They might be getting the wrong information because for me, pro-choice is, and it's like, that's why I, I love that, say the Project Art Centre is, is a pro-choice venue and things like that. Mm-hmm. Being pro-choice isn't being pro-abortion one way or the other. Yeah. Being pro-choice is, I don't judge you whatever decision you make. Yeah. So for me, I mean, and it was a democratic decision. We all voted on whether we would do it for, and it wasn't my idea, which was really interesting to me. So it came from within the group mm-hmm. and then the group voted and people said, yes, we'll do it for um, the, the coalition, Triple the Eighth. Yeah. I wasn't involved at all in, in it except to vote saying, well, obviously, you know what my vote is. Yeah. Uh, so it was really cool. That was really cool. So it was democratic. And also for me, I don't feel like we made a massive statement by saying we're pro-choice, i.e. we don't judge whatever someone's choice is to continue or end a pregnancy, whatever their choice is, whatever they need support in. For me, any group that says that, they're not making a statement one way or the other. Yeah. They're just saying, we support people's decision to choose. So it's always odd to me when people complain about that. But yeah. it just tells me where they stand and that maybe they've got a bit of a journey to go on and, and that it hasn't happened in their lives or to one of their friends, and I hope it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but that they're usually quite young and idealistic when that happens. Mm. Um, they're either very young and idealistic or older and very set in their ways. Mm. It's one or the other. In the middle... This is why I keep saying pro-choice is the middle ground. In your middle, you find those of us who've lived enough to go, it happens. We can either make it safe or unsafe. Mm-hmm. I choose safe. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Listen, thanks a lot for chatting to me, Darren. Thanks for having me. Tara Flynn there, yeah. Oh, I just saw a policeman go by in a Segway. <laughs> hmm. So this is my last day in Chicago. I'm a bit sad. It's nice and sunny. I'm wearing shorts. I've got a short sleeve T-shirt. I'm a little bit sunburnt and brown. And I'll be going back to Ireland. And I'm going via Amsterdam. And I've just got a, a message saying that the Amsterdam to Dublin flight has been cancelled due to wind... But that means that we're flying in from um, Chicago into a windy Amsterdam. I'm not happy about that. I'm, I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be shitting it when we're landing. So I have a long uh, f- day. I'm going to miss a night, I guess, a long day ahead of me. Uh, so, yeah, look, uh, thanks for uh, subscribing and uh, downloading and listening. And uh, as I always say, please give me a review on iTunes. It doesn't take long. Just get on there and give me five stars and a review. And it helps the podcast. And this podcast is free, so that's the only uh, charge I would uh, ask of you. You can also get me at uh, on Twitter at Joe Rooney one the number one, not the word one, and uh, my website, www.joerooneycomedian.com and Facebook and Instagram, Joe Rooney Comedian, all that malarkey. Uh, yeah, so uh, I've got a gig coming up in Ballincollig, the White Horse in Ballincollig on the 22nd of September, and I've many more gigs, uh, and if you want to find out more about them, go on my website where all my dates are. That's it from... I'll be back next time. I think I'll be talking to uh, the uh, wonderful uh, actor, director, clown, Raymond Keane. So uh, look out for that. Yeah! See ya!
Listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about axonics therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control, it gave me my life back. Axonics therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about. And it can give you real lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you. Just take the first step. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. It's time to get your life back. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.